please be aware that this episode contains descriptions or discussions of mental health and illness, lateral violence, othering, queer erasure, trauma, racism, microaggressions, medicalized bodies, and graphic language that may be distressing to some listeners. If you need assistance, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or lifeline.org.au or Switchboard Victoria on 1800 184 527 or switchboard.org.au or contact your state-based service. When it comes to my identity as a queer person of color in the LGBT community is that if you do not aspire to whiteness, you're going to find a difficult time fitting in because it feels like the LGBT space, particularly in Australia, is catered to the white population. You're going to have difficulty being accepted or being valued as much. There's a lot of misunderstandings about being intersex. A lot of people just don't know about it, don't know what it is, so I have to explain that part of my identity a lot for it to be visible. Which is, you know, a bit of labour on my part, but sometimes I'm happy to do that. I do it a lot in performance work. I'll often talk about being intersex. I identify as queer, bisexual, person of colour, disabled. It's hard to kind of feel that I can be all of those identities at once. So often when I'm in spaces, it feels I can only kind of tick a couple of those boxes. So. In order to exist, I feel my intersectional identity isn't always validated and it feels that I can't be my full self in spaces that I'm in. Welcome to QR Code, an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers, discussing diverse and intersecting topics. QR Code is created and produced on Wurundjeri land in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Nam, Melbourne. My name is Michaela Veschel. On this episode, I speak with Aslan, a queer Asian Muslim man, refugee and former asylum seeker. He is an emerging cultural facilitator, community support worker and an advocate for anti-racism and human rights. Kellen Hales, an intersex trans woman, sex worker, performance artist, musician and clown. She moves between the realms of sex, song and chaos in her performance-based work. And Charlotte Sereno, a queer, non-binary, bisexual mixed-race woman of colour with physical and psychosocial disabilities. They are a social worker, poet, writer and creative producer. Aslan, Callan, Charlotte and I discuss the effects on their mental health as a result of erasure, othering and lateral violence they have experienced in queer communities. We discuss inaccurate portrayals of their identities, visibility and exclusion in queer spaces and negotiating mental health barriers with their individual intersections. We start these conversations by discussing identity and its relation to experiencing othering and erasure within medical, cultural and queer contexts. Here is Aslan, Callan and Charlotte describing their experiences. I guess this would go back to when I was in my country growing up as a queer boy. I come from a very conservative country, so obviously ideas uh, or representation of gay people were backward and very negative. So I kind of grew up thinking that if you were going to be gay, that meant you were going to be infeminate. Because I wasn't traditionally a masculine guy, I kind of assumed that I would be interested in very stereotypical gay man stuff. I was actually conflicted for a while because I thought that I was meant to be a certain type of gay man, but it wasn't actually how I felt. 
my experience within Western societies, within predominantly white LGBT community, that we kind of felt that you had to choose between your two identities. It's either you're queer or you're either a person of color or a person of faith. You can't be both. And that's also a very confusing, conflicting experience because if you don't necessarily act the way that the dominant wants you to act, then you're actually excluded in a way because you're not being like one of them. And that's actually an experience a lot of people of color have similar experiences as well. For a lot of people, especially those who are coming from different countries, they're not exactly able to do that immediately. It'll take a long time to actually find the right people who feel the same way and will not punish you for wanting to be who you are and like all your different identities that you have. Being a trans woman intersects a lot with my intersex identity. I think being born in a body that's in a kind of non-binary body really influences how I have done my transition and the choices I make with my body and my transition and with surgeries and that kind of thing, which I don't really want to do because I've had this kind of traumatic surgery when I was a baby. And I realized that with this body I have, with this body I was born in, I don't need to fit into a binary. Yeah, I don't need to have a vagina to be a woman. I know that I can just be myself and be comfortable with that. The intersex variation that I was born with, doctors kind of call it a birth defect or something of that nature. So it's just very casual and normal for them to operate. If I was given full bodily autonomy when I was a baby to be able to grow up with my body as it was and make that decision whether I wanted surgery or not. For me at this point in my life where I am, I feel like I would have said not because I have an understanding that there are so many variations of bodies. There's this huge spectrum of sex and it's all natural. And the surgery has just kind of tried to put me into the binary to make my genitals fit better for society. Then it would all be really normal. But that's not the case. It's not, that's not what I've done with my life. And now I have this understanding that there are so many beautiful types of bodies. And it's kind of disappointing that I wasn't able to make a choice about my body. Sometimes I'm in poetry spaces where they'll have support people. And I've mentioned that, you know, there's intersectionality is a concept, but they'll always either put me down as the person of colour support or the queer support, not the queer person of colour support with access kind of needs. And I've mentioned this is multitude of my identities and I don't separate it. I'm not queer on Monday and brown on a Tuesday. It never kind of works like that. I think for me, it was kind of dissecting for me the term queer person of colour and what that kind of meant for me. Whilst it was really great to be validated by having that term queer person of colour, person of colour is such a broad term in the same way that queer encompasses so many identities. It's not the only defining feature. And for me, I could find that validity in being like, I am a bisexual, non-binary, Filipino, Sri Lankan. And for me, it was kind of finding what is my label if I broke it down to that core. And I think having that process and giving myself that healing and that understanding was really important to kind of allow me to be in those spaces. Erasure has impacted me in several different instances. Like I felt that my Muslim identity has been erased by some other queer Muslims because they identify me as Asian first and then maybe Muslim second. So they erased my Muslim identity because they see me more as an Asian person. When you're an asylum seeker or refugee, if you don't look like what they think is a stereotypical representation of an asylum seeker or refugee, they kind of assume that you don't need the same kind of support that a lot of asylum seekers and refugees need. Just like a feeling of, of not being in control of your body, of something, something outside of you 
making your body do something that you don't want it to do. Intersex in the queer communities I've been in just hasn't really come up. I don't know, it's usually included in the acronym, but in terms of action or anything, it's been very quiet for me over the years, and that's really made me feel quite alienated in that part of my identity. Sometimes in my circles, it's like maybe I know one or two intersex people. Yeah, I have felt very alienated in my intersex identity because it's not really spoken about and I don't know many intersex people in the queer scene that I move around in. I think I kind of act out because of that. It makes me kind of scream and shout about my identity. I do a track called Bodily Autonomy. I kind of just sing about the kind of emotional trouble that I've been through, having kind of felt like I'd lost a part of my bodily autonomy because of how so often the medical industry treats intersex bodies and changes them without proper consent. So I kind of sing and talk about it and grab an intersex flag and wave it around, ask the audience if they know what that even is and talk about my experience, just do a little bit of education. Like there are some queer folk who won't know identify that I'm non-binary because I think when you think about often people's conceptions of what disability, what a person of colour what a queer person look like. Both within those spaces and beyond those spaces, there are preconceived notions of what that looks like. There's more than those perspectives and those identities are valid. But for me, I'm not going to change how I present to make that identity seem more valid. When I already have all these other things that can make me already a part of those margins and it feels like a challenge on top of a challenge And when you have mental health concerns, I have to remind myself that it's not a choice I've made to come to this identity, to make things more difficult. It's the way I am. You're listening to QR Code, a queer health podcast made by queers, produced in the studios of 3CR. In this episode, we discuss the effects on mental health as a result of erasure, othering and lateral violence experienced by people in queer communities. Aslan, Callan, Charlotte and I continue the conversation by discussing how inaccurate portrayals of identities, stigma and experiences of exclusion in queer spaces affect self-expression, notions of equality and individual mental health requirements. The kind of erasure that I've experienced is that, especially the last few years, why identity politics has become more prominent in people's understanding and application in life. It feels like an inverted treatment of the traditional or mainstream dominant cultural identities because there's also this very prominent underlying capitalistic attitude that exists within Western society. So sometimes I feel like people end up selecting individuals more about virtual signaling in a way. Like there's a reason why we support person A and not person B. What happens is that People feel that the best way to combat oppression or discrimination is by calling out and cancelling folks, you know, not providing them with a platform. As I said in performance, I'll scream and shout about it. It probably makes me more open about it. It makes me feel like I need to represent, particularly for being intersex, because I can't see much representation around me in my social scenes. I burnt myself out earlier this year doing a performance about being intersex. I just kind of like wrote down a whole story of my journey of being intersex and was performing it quite often. 
and because I didn't really have intersex community around me and I didn't have support, I, I really wasn't taking care of myself. And I was sharing this story so much and not realizing the impact it was having on me. Didn't really have a lot of support around me that really understood my story. And I was reliving the trauma of this story I was telling all the time, like all of this darkness in my experience. And that got a bit much. My most common response is for me to space out. So if I'm in a space and I feel I'm not being validated or I'm not feeling comfortable, I will shut down. And so it's quite often I just won't blink or I'll feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience or I essentially go into survival mode. The emotional weight of those kind of experiences, for me, it is kind of dissecting. And often because I do shut down as a defense mechanism, often because having BPD, the instinctual reaction is to dysregulate. I've built up a lot of mechanisms to try and not do that, which as a consequence has mean I kind of shut down and dissociate a lot more. From my experience, because I wasn't a refugee yet, I was an asylum seeker, international student who had experienced homelessness and poverty and sexual trauma, like, I'm not able to explain that to people immediately. Those are my stuff that I've been facing. And they kind of feel like, oh, you have nothing that would disadvantage you and that, that you have no right within this space. It's only later on when it becomes clearer that I am a marginalized person that maybe they kind of take a step back. One of the things that I experienced as well is that within this space, a lot of the people who do the cancelling out and calling out are also people who, even though are marginalized, have a lot of social capital. They don't have the fear of being homeless. They don't have the fear of being deported. And yet they don't acknowledge that. And yet they feel that they can be hostile and even practice lateral violence on people who face those kind of concerns. There are a lot of misconceptions about intersex. I was <laughs> explaining my particular intersex variation to a couple of people. And one of them just kept asking me if I had a penis and a vagina, if I was a hermaphrodite. They kept explaining my body and he had this preconceived idea of what intersex was and he really couldn't get past that. I guess there's like misconceptions about transition all the time. People in general societies think that there's a, a finishing point to transition. We'll ask, have you had the operation? That kind of question. And misconceptions about sex work. People often think that it's really unsafe, which it can be, but I'm working in a safe environment. When I think of mental illness and social shunning, discussions of queerness and everything and even just social stunning in general I won't often speak about my mental health in spaces unless it's someone who is like super close with me or I feel it's a safe space. I only recently told my boss and my senior prac about me having BPD. I haven't mentioned the multitude of everything else. I did 10 months of what's called dialectical behavioral therapy. One of the main therapies used for borderline it's intensive kind of group therapy and individual sessions. And I did it whilst I was working and studying, which was a lot to take on, but it was something I felt I needed. But again, I wouldn't mention that in workspaces, queer spaces, because there is that kind of stigma associated with it. One of the reasons why I did kind of decide to access treatment, because at the time I was dating my girlfriend, I'd noticed the impacts of my mental health on that relationship. My partner felt that they weren't able to deal with mental health as a concept and then being quite a part of queer spaces kind of has that weighted impact on my mental health, which then creates that kind of cycle for me. 
my voice isn't as regarded. Your concerns and your fears are not taken as seriously. For somebody who identifies as queer, as Muslim, as Asian, and who was an asylum seeker and now a refugee, it's very difficult having to negotiate those different identities with different people because sometimes relationships that happen within the space feels transactional that people only take from you what they want because it serves them somehow. You're listening to QR Code, a queer health podcast made by queers, produced in the studios of 3CR. In this episode, we discuss the effects on mental health as a result of erasure, othering, and lateral violence experienced by people in queer communities. We continue the conversation by discussing how lateral violence or microaggressions contribute to feelings of isolation and ultimately produce shortfalls for individual mental health outcomes. I can't speak for everybody, but for me personally, I don't have family support. I'm more or less been disowned by my family, cut off financially. And because of my background, I did not seek community support because I didn't want to be closeted with them or I didn't want to deal with any kind of racist attitudes that they have. So I kind of kept to myself. And I did that because I thought I could find a queer community that could be a safe space for me. But that didn't happen. Lateral violence can happen within POC and LGBT space. Gaslighting, cancelling. Blacklisting, I suppose. I can feel when you're not welcome in certain spaces and certain groups. If people keep telling you that you don't belong here, then, you know, you really don't feel that there's any safe space for you. And that inevitably also makes you feel you value your life less as well. You kind of want to go to a space where you feel everybody respects you regardless of who you are or where you're from. For me to come in that space, I always have to be guarded instead of just feeling this is where I want to be. I felt quite distant from my blood family, so I was finding closeness and intimacy in my queer family. There was still a part of me that felt really alone and alienated, and like before I kind of started exploring my transness more, or even recognized that I was intersex, I was finding parts of myself, but still felt incredibly, incredibly lost and alone for many years. In the past, it was awful, especially growing up, it was so confused and ashamed by my body and so afraid of it and so afraid of sharing it. I don't think anyone really, really has ever mentioned the differences in my body up until like last week when I had a client who, who was like, your penis is different to my penis. And I was like, yeah, I'm different. I just kind of brushed it off. I didn't really want to explain it to him. In terms of collective trauma, all my mental health concerns, all my kind of invisible health concerns, all my intergenerational trauma of things I didn't think about a lot. People don't realise that the experience of trauma actually is exhausting and it's exhausting on your body and it's exhausting on your mind. And it's not always the most visible kind of thing because a lot of people do carry on as a survival instinct so when you experience things like that social shunning or that microaggression from a healthcare professional who may not get things you kind of try and get on with it there are often people you can confront about the way in which they contribute to lateral violence in their kind of micro behaviors but there are some people where it actually is quite a way to dialogue 
and sometimes the effort in trying to have that conversation ends up taking more out of you and it ends up being a futile conversation and the impact of that can cause you more harm than good. The connection to erasure or lateral violence is that the people that you do end up working with, share space with, have misconceptions and you would have all the support. They're not realizing how much their actions can compound the marginalization and the disadvantage that you have. They don't realize that it's actually like class microaggression, for example. I've been excluded from certain projects or whatever. I'm just spending most of my time at home and feeling like nothing that I do is, is right. Like my contribution hasn't amounted to anything. When I get into a depression, I'm just really hopeless. Like the weight of everything going on, the weight of what's happened to my body and my experience, that kind of all just like packs on, can't do much. In terms of the systemic oppressions that I face, I think for me, I like to keep myself well-informed and involved in spaces. And for me, it's taken a lot of a lot of struggle to kind of realise I can't be as active as I used to be. And I still have the same amount of care, but I think not being so physically present does run the risk of having people kind of othering you for not physically being there. We close these conversations by discussing queer community involvement and personal values and describing what modes of care are utilised in relation to emotional well-being, sense of self and positive individual mental health outcomes. So when I think about taking care of myself in terms of my physical and mental health, I think back to performance that I did at Quippings that talked about the idea of rebirth. And we talked about the cocoon. So when you think of a butterfly, you think of the the caterpillar and the butterfly. And I like to really focus on that cocoon stage and the importance of letting yourself be that group validating that experience, which for me has been a long process to let myself do that, particularly being someone who does have ADHD. For me, sitting still hasn't come easily. For me, letting myself validate the fact that I can be still, particularly having physical health concerns that have developed over my life, I've actually needed to do that and acknowledging that I do need to take that time off. It's really important to kind of find a group of people, ideally, would also share the same identities as you do. But ultimately, I think it's more important to make sure that you find people who share the same values as you, and they don't compromise on those values. For me, it's about honesty, integrity, justice, accountability, and you move forward together as a collective. It seems like a healthy way forward as well. I feel like our collective trauma at the Intersex Retreat brought us together in a way that we could really share and hold space and hold each other. It's an incredible shift from feeling really alone in my intersex identity to feeling extremely supported. On one hand, yes, I do feel included in a lot of ways, but I have had to do a lot of explaining. I don't know, I think I am able to explain myself a lot of the time just with my actions. I want to spaces for people to have this visual thing in front of them that will warp their mind a little bit and kind of change the fabric of our scenes. Yeah, have this different kind of body and I'm not so ashamed of it. It's a political thing, it's an artistic thing, it's around with the things I don't like about society. It's what I can do to change things. As I evolve as a person, my writing also evolves. So one concept 
I've come to understand and utilize in my dialogue is the term stroft, a combination of soft and strong. And I think it's a really beautiful, powerful way to look at things when you've had a multitude of factors come into place. It's finding the strength and softness in those experiences and within yourself. It means I have active energy to exist. I like to think of myself as when I'm not feeling my best is how do I comfort the inner child inside me to make myself really valid. I look in the mirror a lot. I guess try to see how other people, when I'm going about my day, are going to perceive me, whether they're going to perceive me as a woman or not. Usually I'll just like take a few breaths and I don't find my womanhood from the inside out and not stress so much about my physical appearance, but worry about how my spirit is feeling. When I feel beautiful on the inside, I'm perceived as, as my own gender and it's not an issue. I feel like my intersecting identities give me a lot of power and knowledge that is actually well appreciated by the people I spend time with. For more information and resources on queer mental health, intersectional identities, and psychosocial disorders, you may find the following helpful on queer mental health, cutie pock mental health, and cutie bipoc healing space. Online spaces to obtain support and information for queer, trans, and intersex, black, indigenous, or persons of color. Queerspace, an LGBTI plus health and wellbeing support service based in Nam, Melbourne. On queer cultural identities, Charlotte Serenio's article on decolonizing queerness and her personal narrative on her mixed race identity and sexuality. Democracy in Color, an independent national organization that campaigns to tackle structural racism based in so-called Australia. Nothing for them, a report produced by La Trobe University on understanding the support needs of LGBT young people from refugee and newly arrived backgrounds. On intersex identities, the Androgen Insensitivity Syndrome Support Group Australia, a peace support and advocacy group for intersex people and their families. The Darlington Statement, a document that sets out the priorities and calls for the intersex human rights movement. And Intersex Human Rights Australia, an independent support, education and policy development organisation by and for people with intersex variations. Links and details to these resources will be available in the episode's show notes. You've been listening to QR Code, with Michaela Veshaw in conversation with Aslan, Kellen Hales and Charlotte Serenio discussing the effects on mental health as a result of erasure, othering and lateral violence experienced in queer communities and negotiating mental health barriers within individual intersections. Listen to and download our episodes from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code and follow us on Facebook at QR code 3CR. QR code would like to thank the city of Yarra for their financial support and the community radio network for getting the program out to you. Thank you also to Arliff Thomas Dodds for collating the audio transcription of these interviews. A transcript of this episode will be available to view and download via the episode's show notes at 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code. Our theme music is Ritual for Transformation, produced by Michele Vescio. Next time on QR Code, James McKenzie will be discussing the consequences and implications of conversion therapy. Thank you for listening.